you are tuned into another episode of Legal Bites, a podcast by the Warwick Legal Tech Society. I am Anna Partney, the founding member and head of Legal Innovation Hub. Through this podcast, we bring to you honest interactions and insights into the field of law, tech, and the commercial world by interacting with founders, lawyers, and people who often embark on roads less taken, disrupting the industry and creating an impact while they were at it. On today's episode, we are joined by Toby McCrindle. Toby is the Chief Legal Officer at Seed Legals, which is a UK market standard for companies to automate tasks, invest, incentivize, and grow faster. Toby started his career as a finance lawyer at Allen & Overy. He then joined the BAE Systems, where he supported new technology generations in the aerospace sector. Toby has also worked as the general counsel at the travel tech company Snowfall and as the head of legal and compliance at Divido. Toby, welcome to Legal Bites. We are truly honored to have you on board today. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I'm um, really happy to be here. Honored to be here. You say honored to have me. I don't think so. I think honored to be here. Very happy to support what you guys are doing. And I think it's brilliant that um, down in the law, you know, down at university level, you're already thinking about law and law tech. I think that's brilliant. Um, so well done. <laughs> thank you. How has your day been so far? chaotic busy we have a, a kind of um a busy monday at seed eagles we have a kind of company-wide stand-up where everyone comes together says hello run through our priorities new joiners so that takes up uh, first part of the morning which is always good fun and then um, into the week trying to catch up from whatever happened on friday <laughs> that sounds like a really tough start to the week so toby i found your career trajectory really fascinating first you trained and qualified at a magic circle law firm allen and overy following which you transitioned into working in-house and you were responsible for building various legal teams at various companies like BAE Systems, Snowfall, and that's just to name a few. What do you think prompted the switch and what were the challenges you faced along the way? That is a great question. I mean, I spent sort of nearly eight years in private practice. And I think when I went into private practice, I really gave no thought to the longer term career path I might have. You know, it's it's quite common. And I'm sure lots of your students are sort of thinking about, you know, decisions you're going to make when it comes to training contracts. Do I go private practice? Do I go in-house early on? I didn't really give it much thought, if I'm honest. It was, um, it was law firm. You know, everything was sponsored by law firms. I was heavily involved with law society at Birmingham. And, and it felt like a natural sort of step into kind of corporate law and into the bigger law firms. Um, I think... Uh, I think things have changed now, but I certainly wasn't curating or trying to curate my career from an early stage. So I was just doing the deals, kind of getting through it and enjoying it along the way, but sort of really focused on on just progressing through the A&O um, kind of pathway. And then um, sort of, I guess, at year seven, uh, took on this very large deal for BA Systems. And it was very complex. Well, the deal wasn't so particularly complex with the politics, the commercials behind it were, were quite complex and sort of where the deals sat in the in the wider commercial space and in the market publicly, which was the first time I'd done a deal like that where I really realised there was so much more going on behind the financing, behind the scenes where law firms tend to get involved. And, um, you know, I spent weeks and weeks locked in a room with the BAE team um, going over the documents that we were working on, but also the sort of underpinnings of the transaction. And it sort of occurred to me after the deal closed and the dust settled that actually there's maybe more to what goes on you know, um, behind the scenes when these deals come to market than than we see as private practice lawyers, certainly as finance lawyers, um, you don't see, you, you tend to come in quite late on in the process, right, of building a deal or whatever you might be supporting, because it's taken sometimes years in the case of that particular transaction to come to market, right? BAE Systems has been negotiating with their customer for quite literally years, building up the commercial model, the 
um, operational model and how they're going to build, what they were delivering, what you need to deliver, and then the financing comes at the end. And it kind of occurred to me, as I say, that actually, maybe that's the more interesting part for me, at least, right? Being more involved on a, on a commercial level earlier on than just kind of coming in at the, right at the last minute and doing the financing, which is very exciting. You know, you feel very um, much part of the process and, and obviously finance lawyers or private practice lawyers do get lots of plaudits towards it. And that's, and that's how it happened. And then spoke to the chief counsel of the sector I'd been working with at BA Systems and, you know, talked about possible switch into, into um, in-house roles and, and that's how it happened. So, um, and it was a big change. It was a really big change. It's, it, you know, I talk about it as two separate careers. You have your private practice career, certainly for me at least, uh, and then a, which prepares you very well, but not 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 perfectly. And then your in-house career is um, is almost totally distinct in terms of the challenges you face, the skill sets that you need to develop very quickly um, to kind of get through and to, to succeed. So that's how it happened for me. Your journey is truly inspiring. You know, as an aspiring law student myself, I often struggle and wonder if I have chosen the right career path. So your experiences reassures me that there are many other venues which I can explore with my legal degree. And I'm pretty sure there are many students out there who feel the same way as I do. But, you know, I was wondering if with this recent advent of artificial intelligence, firms will look for people more than just pure legal expertise. I think, I don't think it's taken AI to generate that interest from in law firms in, 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 lawyers or, or prospective lawyers with a wider skill set. I think it's always been important. And I've always said, and, and the, the smart law firms have always said that law is the business of people first and foremost. So finding lawyers and developing lawyers that can do more than just the, you know, the technical excellence that's expected, that's the baseline. And then it's what you do on top. And it's, and it's, um, it's always been commercial awareness, which, you know, I'm sure your listeners will have drummed into you when you're first day at law school and you start to talk to careers advisors, you've got to be commercially aware, commercially aware. So that's a sort of a given. And then it's um, skill sets on top of that, that I think, as you rightly say, AI and the advent of tech probably has accelerated. So it's, you know, technical excellence has always been there. Commercial awareness, super important, always something to work on. And then perhaps understanding about a more modern and advanced delivery of legal services is becoming much more important. I think, you know, there are no law, there are no big law firms now not focusing on you know, advanced delivery mechanisms and tech and the implementation of advice or to find efficiencies behind the scenes. And so I, I'm sure that law firms are looking for people that are thinking about those challenges, how they can, law firms can capitalise on them, how individual lawyers can capitalise on them, but most importantly, how clients can make use of them, right? Because there's everything a law firm does is, is geared towards their clients, then they will only be implementing things that they think can add value to clients. And so that's another piece of the commercially aware puzzle, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's, it would have changed massively. Um, I'm sure since I went through it you know, over 10 years ago <laughs> now. I couldn't agree more. However, some experts argue that AI could potentially replace humans, while there are many others who believe that humans using AI will replace humans not using AI. Yeah. I was going to jump in on that one. I think before we move on, the AI thing is, is obviously very topical. I think it will change the role of a lawyer, right? I think, you know, law firms are cautious about this stuff and it makes perfect sense that they are. They're not suddenly going to start deploying AI bots give it to give advice or to trust AI bots to draft documents from scratch without a human sort of being present. But I think how you manage the tech is going to be critical in the development of lawyers um, and law firms full stop and certainly in-house and we, we'll, we'll touch on the in-house piece in a minute, I think. But um, yeah, it, it just changes the role of lawyers and it certainly will over the next couple of years for decades to come, no doubt. Absolutely. It's a transformative shift that's already shaping the industry. And now speaking of your day-to-day -day involvement with 
law and technology. Could you please walk us through what a typical day in your life looks like? Well, the first thing I'll say is there's no typical day. You know, you you have a plan for the day, the week, the month, the quarter, the year. It doesn't ever um, develop that way. So, um, I mean, my role, I mean, is hugely varied at C-Legals, but I think that's true for all of the lawyers we have. So um, we have a relatively complex sort of legal team structure for what is a still a reasonably small business. Um, uh, and so, and the team is fairly self, I mean, they're very self-sufficient, they're brilliant, it runs itself, it doesn't really need me at all. So I spend my day focusing on the slightly broader picture items, right? So where the team is going in terms of its direction, how we're best supporting the business, which is critical for any in-house team. And so going back to that point I made around how the two careers I've had or having are different, right? The private practice career where you're just focused, solely focused on clients and delivering great service, et cetera. When you move in house and you start to take on those leadership roles, it changes dramatically and you're, you know, you're constantly thinking about how to improve the service delivery that your team is delivering to the business. Um, and I've been for a long time a fan of thinking about legal teams as more than just you know business enablers that's a really common thing if you were to go to any of these in-house legal conferences or listen to any other you know in or lots of in-house leaders they'll talk about enablers you know legal team enables growth enables you know uh, risk management etc etc i kind of think that's unfair i think that's almost too much of a passive verb i think legal teams can be much more than enablers and can be drivers of change drivers of growth um, etc and certainly that's true at seed legals because we have a unique role here um, and so that's that's what we're trying to do at seed legals with our legal team is to is to drive the business forwards rather than just enable it to happen which is a little bit passive in my view and maybe it's semantics but i think there is is more underpinning the word you know the word drive than there is um in practical terms than enabling um and so um it, the day varies it really varies sometimes there's crisis management right any in-house team again you're you're focusing on supporting the business dealing with things that happen that need a lawyer to jump on it quickly and supporting that um so that's very technical legal work which is nice to be working on again um but it's uh it's it's just one thing we're, we're focusing on with you know we're busy all the time and obviously c legals sells legal product so we have a team that is busy designing and helping the product teams and the engineers to build that legal product and so that team's very busy and really i don't have <laughs> to do too much with those guys they are so good and the team and the leader of that team is so proficient that you know i really don't have to get too involved um in fact i think they find it irritating when i do so uh, get involved so i think it works very nicely Toby, so you mentioned how you have to collaborate with various sectors like engineers investment experts and account managers on a regular basis can you talk us through what a collaboration at Seed Legals looks like and how it is different from private practice? Well, I think, I mean, it's totally different is the first thing I'd, I'd point out. So when you're running a transaction or if you're in a law firm where you're not a transactional lawyer, you're still collaborating. You've got internal teams working on a transaction or maybe it's a litigation and you've got to use subject matter experts around the business, whether it's a tax lawyer or, um, you know, a, a specialist from within the law firm. That's fine, but it's on a perhaps more ad hoc it's not more it's not particularly regular you don't have as many stakeholders internally to manage I think most associates in law firms are managing one or two stakeholders and that'll be the senior associate they're working for or the partner they're working for and then the client is the other stakeholder um, and there's more but that's broadly it I think in-house your team and a, and, a, and a legal team that's really fulfilling its goals should be right in the middle of things right so um, you know, I time, almost think of it as a as a wheel. You know, if I was to draw a diagram of what a legal team should like, you draw a wheel with the spokes, and at the end of a spoke is a team that you support or a person you support, and and that helps build up a picture of how we operate. And we're sort of in the middle, spinning right this wheel, trying to you know meet the needs of lots of different stakeholders, and and we have many. So I think for C legals, the key when we have some very key stakeholders, um, the product team, so the guys you know who are responsible for building the products we sell. In collaboration with the engineers and the developers they're key stakeholders for us so we feed into 
the products they're building. So for example, our legal documents that um, you, that users uh, access for equity funding rounds, those documents are built by engineers um, and developers, but the content comes from the legal team, right? Because we're the lawyers that are putting the documents together or improving or changing the content of those documents, depending on what the market's doing. And we react to that. So if there's a big shift in the market, um, our legal product team will kind of track that, um, create some improvements, which they then send to the product team to be checked, do some discovery on, and then they'll go into development. So that's uh, that's a really key um, set of stakeholders for us and really uh, a key team we collaborate with. Um, and then across the rest of the business, it can be um, business development, sales, absolutely key. Again, we help the sales team all the time from educating them on how to sell our product, well, not how to sell, but what they're selling. So. Again, these guys coming to the business, they're not necessarily lawyers, don't have a legal background, and even if they do, what we build here is quite unique. And so we do regular training sessions, we jump on calls with them on sometimes direct to, to sales calls so that we can explain um, some of the underpinnings if the clients need a bit of a bit of guidance. Um, so this is probably one of the biggest teams in the business. It's at least 50 people. Uh, these are the talented um, folks that uh, pick up clients when they're on the platform or users on the platform that need some support with completing a funding round on the workflow or you know whether they need any support with the other documents or that sort of stuff and the legal team sit as a sort of second level of support so these these customer experience guys are really well trained up and um, they can answer most questions on the spot or with a bit of research or with some internal support from more senior members of the tx team and if they can't then it comes into the legal team um and that's where we spend a lot of time supporting uh, rcx friends so um that can be anything from a quick message on Slack or on HubSpot, which is our, our client management tool, um, or it can be a much more detailed session where you have to get in a room and sort of try and puzzle out um, a solution to a problem. So we are interacting with probably every asset, every facet of the business every day. It could, it could be the copywriting team who wants to do a new article on how to run a due diligence process or how to select investors or whatever it might be. The legal team tend to look at that stuff as well, just for a bit of a, a, an overview and sometimes to provide some some direct input. So. Yeah, it's a busy team. And as I say, it's unique because what we sell here is legal product and have so much influence on the business, which I know my team, sometimes we'd like to have more influence and a really in-house legal team will tell you that, that the more you can grow your influence, the more you can improve things in the business, whether it's the legal tech or whether it's any other type of business. Sorry, it's um, there's a lot to say about it, but uh, it's, it's that, every day it's busy. <laughs> yeah, that, but that sounds really wonderful. And, and I'm glad that you're able to collaborate and work with a lot of team members at the same time when you're enjoying in-house work. But I know this can be a tough question, but I'm curious that you have worked with technology-based companies for a really long time. Have you ever contemplated the idea of maybe taking up a non-legal role? That is a good question. And I think initially, no, it was, it was never something that crossed my radar. I think having come to see legals, actually, um, I think more and more so I'm taking on less pure legal uh, roles. I think we, we're we a growing business. Whilst we're reasonably developed, there are pockets where, you know, more support is required that's non-legal. And I think as a leader in the business, I can sort of spot them, perhaps step back and spot them and then maybe volunteer myself. So I've been doing a bit of that, right? So we, we're just in the, in the process of updating our mission statement and building a set of company values that we want to formalize into our processes. And so that's been sat with me now uh, to lead on, although it's a hugely collaborative, you know, is that word again, collaborative um, exercise across the whole business. So we've done listing exercises, workshops. Um, we have an impact team 
sort of which is our culture team that uh, have been working on this for six months but that's been a non-legal project that i think has been the hardest of the things i've done at sea legal so far because it's a non-legal and you're out your comfort zone um you have to stand up and talk about things that you know don't come naturally necessarily or even if they do that you're not used to speaking about in a sort of leadership context if you're a lawyer um so yeah more and more i'm getting involved and it also it's a facet of being in an in-house role whereas in a private practice firm you know there's very few opportunities to diversify there are some but um but not so many and in fact um a member of my team uh particularly on the legal product side would also contemplate a move into development roles or engineering roles right um who have self-taught to code or, or that sort of thing so yeah i think i think law tech does provide those opportunities for lawyers it absolutely does um it's it's a big difference to being in private practice now i want to delve into your current role which is working as the chief legal officer at seed legals but first for our listeners who may not be familiar could you please tell us what is seed legals and how does it operate yes a uh, good question so seed legals um is a reasonably young company with six coming from seven years old uh, it was founded with one sort of goal and one vision in mind, I suppose, and that was to become the legal operating system for startups. So our founders, who are still with the business, um, which is great and quite unusual for companies in their scaling journey, right? Often founders move on or what have you, but we've still got our three founders. Um, when they got together initially and thought about this, they wanted to provide tools to give startups financial liquidity and what we call runway, right, in the VC industry. So money, right? How do they get hold of equity financing cheaper, quicker, faster, without going to law firms necessarily, which can be a drain on time and general resources, right? So these companies typically that we support, or certainly in the early days supported with the very early stage startups, didn't have lots of financial resource, they wouldn't necessarily want to spend money on law firms um, or, or spend the time on law firms, which is, you know, time is also a critical uh, resource for founders who are trying to move fast. Um, and so the guys came up with the platform, right? How can you take a complicated or reasonably complicated deal-making process and build a beautiful workflow on a platform that enables you to do the whole thing? And that's how the business started. It was all about providing that liquidity. And then the next thing the guys thought about was what happens after your founder has raised their initial capital where they spend it, right? And what do they spend it on? People, right? They normally hire. So then we built a range of products to... Um, enable founders to manage their people. So employment contracts, um, a cap table to manage uh, um, both investment that had been put into the company at the funding stage, but also then options, how to grow options um, to your staff members as part of the remuneration packages or award packages and that sort of stuff. And, and then the products have just grown and grown and grown. So that's what CDGL started life as. And now we occupy a position in the market where we support you know tens of thousands of startups on their scaling journey. Um, with a range of products um, but our principal products that we sell are the funding round products right whether that's an angel round uh, seed round friends and family round so we have a range of, of products to suit them um, the different needs of founders so that's that's it and um, I think the other thing I'll, I think I'm always reluctant to say this particularly in the context of talking on a law tech podcast but our our three founders, none of them are lawyers, which I think is a really interesting fact about our business. So these are not three lawyers that were thinking, how can we improve things for founders? It was three non-lawyers, one of whom was a founder, one of whom was a tech guy, one of whom was a uh, serial investor. And, and they didn't sort of see the risks that, you know, perhaps I might have seen with this product or platform had I been in that room or in that bar, wherever they met for the first time, um, which I think is a kind of critical part of our success because they didn't see any of the problems or the pitfalls that lawyers sometimes look for um, or spot first but they just thought no this this could be done why not and off they went and did it um, and so then they brought lawyers on very quickly <laughs> right because they're building legal products but the initial conception was done without sort of um, lawyers in the room which I think is really interesting um, yeah, it's, uh, 
yeah, many, many law texts are founded by lawyers, but this one wasn't, which is, yeah, I think, unique. That's truly remarkable, and it's quite impressive how most of the management of seed legals is from a non-legal background. Now, seed legals have served over 50,000 startups, and you have experience in both private practice and in-house. What sets seed legals apart, and why would you think clients would prefer it over, say, a traditional law firm? Good. Another good question. I think, um, I mean, principally, it's cost and speed. And, and those are the two things that founders prioritize, right? They want to, they have an idea, they need to get some money into the business to make it happen. And typically these people are working a day job, they've got a lot going on. You know, the thought of engaging with the legal services sector is sometimes very burdensome. And it's also quite a closed sector to early stage businesses. It's, it's less so now than it was, but the very early stage businesses um, where you've got no money, you might be pre-revenue even, right? You've just got an idea and you need to fund it. You need some money to help you fund it. Um, is is it's a tricky place to break into so i think that's that's the niche we serve and we do set ourselves apart from law firms we don't see them as the competition you know oddly that's not what we're trying to do and obviously we have naturally taken a, a big market share of the early stage rounds but we don't set ourselves up in competition you know you won't see on our uh, marketing pages tons and tons of you know uh, content about how you know we're better than a law firm we are really clear that the service we offer um is fast it's efficient and most of all and this is the third of the kind of the the three bits of our secret, the third ingredient in our secret sauce, I suppose, is that we understand founders and startups like no other business and certainly not like a law firm. So, you know, our, as I said, our founders um, are founders, you know, they are founders, right? They've built a product that serves founders. So that founder to founder connection, both emotionally, but also on a product level is really important. So, um, you know, our CEO, Anthony, you know, he will still even now with a large company to run, will still hop on calls with founders to talk through their problems, whether it's just to agony, uncle them or even to provide solutions before then passing it on to you know experts you know in the business somewhere and i think that makes a huge difference you know it's not a law firm experience and that's very deliberate um and and it's that sort of on it's that um immediacy and support that you get from very senior people very quickly which is just harder in law firms and that's not a criticism of law firms right i'm a private practice lawyer i loved my time in private practice and and even thought about going back but um it's it's just a different experience for founders and then now you know we pivoting the business slightly or shifting it to focus on investors as well so building products for investors and and it's a similar thing there you know we can we can move much faster than a, a traditional law firm can to build new products to service new new issues and new clients so it's um yeah it's it's very different chalk and cheese um, is how i describe it do you think your previous experiences have helped you understand the dynamics of a startup like seed legals better yeah for sure i mean i've been in a range of so obviously ba systems a huge giant plc you know tens and tens of thousands of employees my role in that business was obviously minuscule compared to the role that you have in a smaller in a much smaller businesses so that prepared me in many ways for, you know certainly on the tech side because bearing in mind i wasn't a tech person i wasn't a tech lawyer um whatever that even means and then you then you know i moved into smaller companies and startups where you have the tech piece that's really important but actually moving into a small company where it might be you know certainly my first one I was the only lawyer initially that was a shock, right? Going from a large law firm to a large PLC where you've got hundreds of lawyers running around, then into a startup where you're the only lawyer trying to bring a sense of cohesion or a sense of calm and um, discipline <laughs> into a business that's growing extremely fast, where perhaps the, the founder is less focused on things, you know, that lawyers are more focused on. Um, that was a real challenge. And I've gone through the cycles Then I moved into a much larger scale up, you know, Series B, raised lots of money, um, had a very developed product. It was a uh, you know, Divido sold enterprise banking software to banks and merchants, totally different kettle of fish, but that certainly was a useful experience um, 
to see how the inner workings of a scale up operate differently to the very early stage startups. Um, and it was a really good grounding for seed legals, which is probably another level further on. And Divido was you're in you're totally integrated into the market. You play a really important role, as you said. I know we have fifty thousand startups that have used us, and we have tens of thousands of active subscribers. You know, we have to be really careful with what we do, right? We are a responsible business. We have you know, people's, you know, when they're raising money, there's nothing more stressful for a founder to go through than raising money or hiring and firing people. And that's what our platform enables. So we take a much, um, you know, take a very responsible approach to that. And going from that early stage business, which I've seen through to the more, you know, developed and, and um, sort of enterprise focused businesses is, is a journey that's sort of stood me in good stead for this role. It really ranges. But, um, but yeah, C-Legals is, although we haven't done a Series B funding round, that's because we haven't needed to, right? So to put it into context, you know, two years ago startups were finding it easier to raise money uh, than they are now and you could you know walk off find some investors and and raise a, a decent series b if you had you know good growth overall growth top line growth um much harder now but seed legals is self-funding where you know we're a profitable business which is a different space to i think many vc uh, backed businesses so you know our, our journey now is slightly different from a vc backed company which is growing at all you know speed at all costs and that's very different to what seed legals is doing it's it's kind of um organic growth adding people adding products adding markets as we go when we can afford it you know in a, in a more in a slightly more stable way than the hyper growth vc bank businesses but um yeah so, so there's a lot of experience sort of culminating in my seed legal role i really love all the initiatives seed legals is taking and the other day i was reading about the service offered by seed legals one aspect that caught my attention was the general counsel as a service, which seems like an exceptional approach to provide more specialized advice to clients on complex deals. What is unique about this service and how do you personalize legal advice, say, if you're stuck with automating the contracts by yourself? That's good. Well, I keep saying this at the beginning of every question. It jar, I mean, I imagine to people listening to this, they, they think C-Legals is a uh, law tech platform. What are they doing suddenly providing human legal advice, right? That seems to be at odds with the platform. And I think that would be a valid question. And it was certainly a question I had in my mind when I joined the business. When I joined, and I celebrated my year anniversary a couple of weeks ago, but when I joined over a year ago now, chatting to the founders, the CEO and chairman, and they had different views on whether we should provide a, a kind of human you know, a paid for human um, advisory service. And I use the word human deliberately to distinguish it from the platform. Um, and, you know, we're in two camps. No, we should focus on our platform and keep improving it. And any money we spend on, you know, a human service could be better used on the platform versus actually this might be an untapped revenue stream. But most importantly, it provides our existing users as they develop in their journeys from very early stage. And so we came down on the latter, you know, option. You know, we thought we will launch this service. And I, again, wasn't something that we did at my instigation, although people might assume it was because this is a legal led, legal team led product. And so we launched a pilot in November last year, I think it was, just with some of our existing legal team. So we we repurposed them very generously. And we, so we launched a pilot, we had a few initial clients, we asked our salespeople to sell this product um, just softly, right? We didn't want to overload ourselves, given that we didn't have much in-house sort of um, capacity for it. Um, and, and it's gone really well so far. And then what distinguishes us I mean, we really thought about this when we built the product. So we looked at what the law firms that we would consider focused on the early stage market to be and how they operate. We looked at the other providers of tech in this space, and there are plenty of companies providing legal tech to founders. And then there's the the kind of alternative legal service provider market, which I'm sure you're kind of aware of that ALSP market that you're aware of. Um, and we probably fall into a mixture of tech and ALSP now. And I think we looked at other providers who tended to still take a law firm model approach, which sometimes it's a bit of a lower base, but aside from how they feel, it's it's 
fragmented advice based on different specialisms. So if I'm a founder, I want to be able to go to, in our view anyway, I want to be able to go to one person who can provide well-rounded advice across the, the key practice areas that all startups face. What they don't want to do is be introduced to a law firm where they have to speak to one partner about commercial contracts, they have to speak to another partner or associate about data privacy, they have to speak to another partner or associate about IP and then and so on and so on. What we think is that those founders in early stage businesses who are suddenly starting to incur regular legal need, they just want one person, right? And they want one person who understands startups, who understands the journey they're on and can kind of align with them really quickly and that's on tap and accessible. And so that was what we built it you know, around. So the model is quite simple. You subscribe to one of our lawyers, you get your own in-house, as the name implies, general counsel as a service. You get your own in-house lawyer who uh, you will work with exclusively, who will start to understand your business really quickly, um, who can provide advice across sort of five key pillars that we focused on as, as startups, because um, we think everyone needs it. So there's data privacy, there's commercial contracts, which is again, affects everyone. So whether you're buying a, platform you know buying tech to help you build your platform whether you're selling your products through a distributor or a reseller whatever it might be or you want to build some online tcs we can help you with that um general corporate advisory which is really our bread and butter anyway you know around you know um anything to do with your corporate structure and that sort of stuff um people and employment so um again as i've mentioned a few times now founders raise money they spend it on people so that's that comes up time and again um, and the last one is IP, which again is super important. So we don't hold ourselves out to be IP specialists in that sense. We're not going to be applying for patents on behalf of the founders, but we can help structure um, companies when they're looking to protect their IP in contracts or whether they are looking at perhaps building IP based on specific requirements of a client who will fund it, who owns the IP, how does it work, et cetera, how the royalties work, that sort of thing. So, you know, our founders can have access to one lawyer that can do all of this stuff. And they can have them on tap whenever they like. So it's not a question of having to email a partner, wait for them for the final associate, a couple of weeks pass, et cetera, et cetera. You've got your general counsel on tap uh, at all times. And we work in a very different way as well. So we work on shared systems with our founders. So we don't have to spend time doing red lines of documents or temp, you know traditional sort of delivery service models around um, uh, yeah, PDFs and all that horrible stuff. We work live on documents using our, you know, our platform and our Google suite as well. So, you know, rather than sending drafts back and forth, you can, you know, draft something simultaneously with a, with a founder, or you can ask a founder to watch you live draft if that's what they want to see if they're working really quickly, that sort of thing. And that's made a big difference as well. So, um, and, and the price point again, is important. It's we, we're pricing it at a way in a way that we know founders can afford. We don't, you know, we're not looking to, you know, obviously we need to make it a profitable service, but, but not at the expense of founders. I think perhaps, dare I say it, law firms are put far more pushed in terms of their costs, in terms of their um, margins, and, um, and and then that's not such an issue for us. So uh, that's combining to make quite a nice product. And we've sold, you know, having really only just got started with this, we've sold um, dozens of subscriptions now, and, and we've had clients resubscribe after these used up all their hours. So that's going very nicely. And in fact, one, our first ever client who is a med tech business who's done a Series A, fundraise they referred to Anna who's our superstar uh, who's supporting this product most mostly um they refer they, they mentioned that she knows their business better than she does better than they do now right they, she's so across the commercial positions the risk analysis etc that she they just defer to her they call her their legal which is precisely what we designed this to achieve so um it's working really nicely right rather than drawing things out you know lots and lots of different engagements with different people in the firm you know so that's that's the big differentiator for us Toby, you briefly touched upon data privacy, which is a critical concern for startups and businesses of 
all sizes. Can you maybe elaborate on the legal mechanisms and innovations that Seed Legals is using to ensure the protection of sensitive data for their clients? In our platform, just more broadly about Seed Legals itself, is, is it holds a lot of data. Right, Data is absolutely critical to us, actually. So as a business, I mean, every, every sensible tech business which has access to data wants to use that data too. Uh, leverage sales, leverage um, outreach to new business, you know, opportunities um, to provide insights to clients. Right, that's something we're really big on at Seed Eagles. We provide something called the Seed, uh, the Seed Review, and, and the Thermometer. So, you know, founders can access these tools to have a look at what the market's doing in terms of positions taken in funding rounds. We obviously anonymize that data. We keep it very high level, so that it's not, you know, <laughs> detailed uh, down at a company specific level. It's, purely aggregated um, and we like every tech company have different mechanisms to deal with that so our print first principles are um, around data minimization right we don't need the data we don't collect it and that's that's totally standard what we've launched this year in fact not yeah it was earlier this year we've launched something called we've actually bought a tool right so you know from another law tech or a compliance tech business called the privacy compliance hub and that's an absolutely fantastic tool and i don't mind giving them a bit of a shout out and I'm, perhaps that's someone you might like to speak to on this podcast their founder karina is absolutely karina is absolutely brilliant but that um that it's a tool that takes a company on a journey right from data privacy so from the early beginnings of data privacy compliance through to maturity of, of data privacy compliance and it's a sort of step-by-step -step guide it's got lots of great videos gives you all the templates and it sort of gives you a health measure which is then audit proof so we get audited by potentially by the um the ico which hopefully will never happen but whether it's you know audited by suppliers or vendors or whatever then you've got a very robust um sort of set of uh templates policies processes uh audit auditable data and so that's what we use um so that's that's how we as a legal team influencing the business so we were taking the business with us on this journey we built a something called the privacy working group which has a representative from each member of the business so a separate from each function in the, within the business and on top of that then our our engineers and our what we call our SRE guys, so that's the infrastructure team within the engineering group, are constantly looking at ways to improve our actual physical security, right? So all the things that every good tech company should be doing, making sure our servers are located, in, thanks to Brexit, located in the right jurisdiction, um, that we're not doing international transfers of data sort of accidentally by buying vendors that are based in the States, for example, that sort of stuff. So without getting too technical and boring, I think that's, it's a, it's a combination of things, I suppose. It's the human lawyer-led um approach to privacy compliance which is going very well and then it's the which then impacts how the tech team and particularly engineers are sort of protecting our data and, and we have a data science team as well who are very very hot on data security and privacy so anything they're doing with our data they do according to sort of the rules that we've set for them um, so it's a combination of things and this is how we advise our startup plans right so i'm actually working for one myself given our capacity constraints and um and we are helping them actually structure they're a, a a data company and we're helping them structure their process to make sure that the clients they serve are uh, served safely correctly um, <laughs> uh... it's really interesting and i really loved all the valuable insights you have shared today talking say about the day-to-day -day challenges and exciting opportunities in the legal tech arena and for listeners out there especially aspiring law students who are eager to be part of the innovation could you provide some guidance on how they can get involved with seed legals and how they can particularly contact you and reach out to you Sure. I mean, we um, we have a. I mean, actually, one of the key uh, hiring grounds for us into our customer experience team, especially, is from the graduate market. You know, direct from graduate market. So, 
people have just left law school uh, looking for their first step into tech, uh, possibly law tech, and not quite sure if you want to do a training contract or will go for a you know a bigger in-house role and then maybe doing a house training contract there. So um, that's one one thing for everyone that's listening who might be interested. Keep an eye on our jobs boards, our LinkedIn pages. We're always hiring that team, and it we we have a fantastic. I mean, it blows my mind actually how good RCX team is right it's you know none of those guys are qualified lawyers but they are so highly trained and so smart that they're able to give very very good advice that's not you know technically legal advice but it, it very well could be right and so that, that's a fantastic team um always hiring um because it's busy um we i mean I, I check out our website we have a lot of content and articles so we're quite big on thought leadership and how do we help founders but then also more broadly in the legal tech space so we do publish um pretty good healthy stream of articles and we speak at lots of events um and, and if anyone wants to speak to me directly, then feel free to, you know, you know, drop me a line, Anna, and um, introduce me, and we, we can have a chat directly. And, and my team are very keen to speak to aspiring um, uh, law graduates as well, or even non-law graduates who might want to step into the world of law. As I said, we we um, have sponsored in the past sort of graduate recruitment events and go along to um, speak on stage at these sorts of things. So yeah, there's lots of avenues into the business, but um, it's our our bread and butter is uh, is really talented law grads looking for tech jobs. So. Um, yeah, it amazes me how smart grads are these days. I would not <laughs> have made it through, I think, the processes and certainly wouldn't know where to start if I was doing it again. But, um, yeah. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. So before we wrap up this podcast episode, do you have any final advice you'd like to give students interested in legal tech? I have, I mean, two things, if I can be so uh, bold. I think there's one piece of advice I'd like to give all your, you know, all law students who might be listening is, um, whether you want to get into legal tech or not, but it's think about your careers really early on, right? Actively cultivate the career you think you want. And obviously that will change over time. But, you know, it's very easy, as I said at the top of the session, it's very easy to get sucked into the usual pipelines, right? Of big law firm training contracts or law firm training contracts full stop. And if that doesn't feel right at the time, it's not going to feel right once you start. And it's an arduous process of applying, let alone completing a training contract. So really have a think, I think, early on about your careers. And it's never too early to start cultivating a career um in whatever direction you take we might want to take it right whether that is big law or whether it's something slightly more niche um or different altogether so that's the first piece of advice i think for people wanting to get into law tech specifically it's about i think network is hugely important whether you're actually looking at law tech or not but law tech is a like lawyers are good at building communities and forming networks that's kind of what we do is what we've done for thousands of years right ends of court etc cetera, etc cetera. you know it's, it's been around a long long time um, the law tech industry is absolutely no different, right? There are lots and lots of um, communities focused on law tech. The law tech startups themselves run communities. Um, it's important to start getting in to those communities quite early on, networking, listening to what a career, you know, in the world of law tech might look like. Um, well worth following, going along to the conferences, that sort of thing. You know, this year's Legal Geek, I think they've got a thousand speakers over two days or something mad. Um, it's it's going to be great, right? And then that gives you a flavour of what life in, in law tech can look like. Uh, great opportunity to meet people, listen to leaders in the space. And, and you guys are doing that right now, right? You're running a podcast focused on law tech at such an early stage in your career. I think it's brilliant. Um, but, but, you know, getting into that network is is really important and, and having a think. And and don't pigeonhole yourselves, right? So, sorry, I said two pieces. I'm getting, I think lawyers are really... Um, uh, good at pigeonholing themselves and I think I've done that myself right as just as just lawyers I mean we have now a legal product team at C Legals um, the majority of whom code right they've attended a coding school at C Legals they're now busy um, coding documents themselves and processes right it's fantastic and they don't see themselves as just lawyers but 
you know, you can do it at any time. So I think that's the other. Toby, thank you so much for taking out time to join us for a podcast today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, as I said, I think what you guys are doing is great. Um, so keep up the good work. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to follow us and check out Seed Legals. We are committed to bringing out exciting content every week. Until next time, this is Anna Partney of WLTS. Mm-hmm.